Um, we've been in the book of Mark now. This is our sixth week in the book of Mark. And, um, you know, just as, as really brief at the beginning here, to highlight a couple of things that our church is about. We are about Jesus and about passionately worshiping Jesus. Uh, we're not scared of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we, we preach the Bible. You say, Josh, when are you going to preach about fill in the blank? Well, when the Bible addresses it, we're going to address it. Josh, certainly you're not going to speak about that subject matter on a Sunday morning. But when the Bible addresses it, certainly we will. We preach the Bible. And um, some, some parts of the Bible are not as easy to preach. They're not easy to listen to. And they're definitely not easy to preach. Uh, but we believe in preaching the whole counsel of God. I personally believe that churches get way off track and way off base when they begin selecting and picking and choosing. We're going to highlight this and we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about this. And what you really find is after about three years, whoever's preparing the sermons, all their creativity has been used in three years. All of the topics they enjoy preaching about have been used in three years. And let's just start over because people forget what we did three years ago. Let's name it something different and do it again. But when you preach through the Bible, not only is it a challenge to me as your pastor, but it's also a challenge to you to understand different parts of, of, of the Scripture, different ways that we are to interpret different parts of Scripture. And we try to teach and preach here every Sunday. So that's just a little bit of our philosophy. As far as we relate to people, we try our best to create a judgment-free zone. And we're not perfect. We try our best to create a judgment-free zone. That means whoever walks through those doors right there is welcomed and loved and cared for. And they matter to us because they matter to God. We want to create a church where you don't mind inviting your friend to come to church. Because you're not nervous about how they're going to be treated. You're not nervous about something stupid that's going to be said from behind the pulpit. We want a place that you feel comfortable inviting anyone to. I knew that it was time for me to change my philosophy and the Holy Spirit had been working in me when I got to the point where I wasn't comfortable inviting people to my church. I knew that God was doing something in my heart. And if that ever becomes this church... Jeff is right back there in the back. He's an elder. Aaron's checking on the kids. He's an elder. Please, if you feel like this church ever gets that way, you need to talk to us because we fight and want to fight against it. Just a little bit about us today, and we want to thank you for being here. Mark chapter 2, we made it through Mark chapter 1. We did it. I want to thank Peter for helping me get through Mark chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, and um, we are not going to take five weeks on every chapter. That is not my plan, at least. Uh, my plan is not to take five weeks on all chapters in the book of Mark. However, we did take five weeks in chapter one. Today, though, we see after Jesus cleansed the leper, and if you remember back, it's now been three weeks ago. And by the way, it wasn't last week a great week. If you weren't here last Sunday, um, Man, Tom Wagner was absolutely exactly what our church needed. Um, and yeah, I have a thank you note that I got in the mail today from him. I'll, I'll post a picture of it on our private Facebook group for you to see. But um, it, was, it, was, it was really good. But three weeks ago, we talked about Jesus cleansing a leper. 
and how the leprosy was a picture of sin, and we spoke about the depths of our sin. Um, I'm not going to preach another sermon on sin this morning. We are in Mark chapter 2, a little bit more of an encouraging passage, even though the Holy Spirit uh, got me caught up this week in my study, and you'll, you'll figure it out as we preach through it. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, if you have your Bible or an app, please follow along. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 1 says, and again he entered Capernaum. This is where Jesus would spend most of his physical uh, ministry and life and ministry on earth after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. I thought about going cheesy and naming the sermon, Jesus in the house. I'm, I'm typically very cheesy, but I didn't do that. Verse 2, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. The fame of Jesus had by this time spread, even though the book of Mark in the first chapter is only one chapter in our minds, uh, certainly a lot took place in that chapter. And, and news of Jesus and his wonder-working power had spread. As Jesus enters Capernaum, he settles down in, in the house. And we're not sure specifically whose house this is. This could be, many scholars believe, maybe a return visit to Peter's mother-in-law, which he, who he healed uh, not long ago. But it really doesn't matter whose house he was in. What matters is that Jesus was in a house. Doesn't matter if it's your house or my house or whose house, he was there. And as with many other times, and as we will uh, we continue to see in the life of Christ, if Jesus is in a house that house begins, begins to be crowded. Wherever Jesus shows up, the crowd gathers. So much so that there was no more room in the house where Jesus was. We are not sure why each of these people came to the house where Jesus was. There were certainly some people that were there for good reasons and probably some people that were there for bad reasons. But we know that Jesus had a focus for those people who were in the house with him, and this is not my sermon this morning, but this gathering of people arrived in the house, and Scripture tells us in our text this morning that Jesus began to preach the word to them. 
he began to preach the word to them. Remember, we have, we have said multiple times already, Jesus didn't go about seeking to perform miracles all the time. Jesus had a focus in his ministry, and that was to preach the word to people and to preach the gospel to people, to call people to repentance. So Jesus wasn't going out looking for all of these amazing miracles. Those miracles came to him. And Jesus had a purpose when these people gathered here in the first part of Mark chapter 2, and he started preaching the word to them. And by the way, that ought to be enough. Listen, I want our church to be nice, and as we move into our renovations, uh, free commercial, uh, for our Generations Project, our renovations and raising money, listen, we want when people show up here for it to be uh, just, just a really nice and first class and excellence, and we want all that, but at the end of the day, if we have to put chairs up right over here in this grassy area out in front, and we have to put up chairs right here, and, and we have to put some outdoor speakers up, and we have to meet outside. Listen, as long as we can gather together and worship Jesus through singing and worship Jesus through hearing the preaching of his word, then that's all right. And by the way, can I say kudos to Keystone Church? Because I did the count the other day. I believe we're at eight. Eight different locations that we have had some sort of church, whether it be online or whether it be in person. And one of those was last summer, like a bunch of idiots. We were outside in July in North Carolina having church like a bunch of crazy people. We moved our service time up from 10.30 at that time to 9 a.m. And one of, my, one of my goals in preaching, I actually was able to wear shorts, CT, I was able to wear shorts and preach several times. And, but I believe our church has shown that, hey, listen, if we'll show up and open up this book, hey, we're there. And by the way, when Jesus showed up, he said, I'm going to open up the book and I'm going to preach. And people, people were there. Okay, so that was the purpose, to open up God's word and to preach. Some people may have shown up to see another miracle or to witness another healing. And at, at first, they were just out of luck because Jesus came to preach to them. Once again, reiterating his purpose wasn't to wow people with wonders. It was to boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel. And as we read through this text this morning, there are three main characters in the story. And my goal today is to unpack these characters. In fact, I'm going to go to the end of my notes today. And I'm going to tell you what my three concluding takeaways are. Because that's what I want you to understand as we go through this. My first golden takeaway that's at the very end of my sermon today is to resist the urge to be a judgmental religious scribe. My second goal and takeaway is to be the friend who believes Jesus can save the lost. And my third goal and takeaway this morning is believe in this Jesus if you have not already done so. Those are my goals for today's sermon. And today's sermon is simply titled, straight from our text, We Never Saw Anything Like This. Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. May your word guide. May your word, coupled with your spirit, May it change our hearts today, and may we leave here different than the way we came. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number one, the first character I want us to see this morning as we walk through this text is the judgmental religious scribes. These teachers of theology, these these, uh, inscriptors, these writers of theology and writers of the word were listening to Jesus preach, no doubt seeking to find fault in his teachings. In fact, over and over again, we see the scribes coupled with the Pharisees. 
And they show up many times throughout the ministry of Jesus. Here in verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I find it interesting this morning, if you look at the wording, put that verse back up on the screen. If you look at the wording in that verse, you remember there were so many people in the house, they couldn't fit anybody else in the house. Okay, it was so packed. But where do we find the judgmental religious scribes? What were they doing? And some of the scribes were sitting. So I want you to think about the spirit and the attitude and, the, and, and maybe the privilege that these scribes thought they had. While everyone else was packed in and standing room only and, and smushed up against one another and literally no room for anybody else to come into the house, you know where they were? They were, they were sitting in the recliner. <coughs> Excuse me. They were over on the love seat. They had pulled up the comfortable couch. And while others were packed in, the status that they had was they deserved a seat. They deserved a seat. And by the way, we don't have assigned seats here. If you walk in on a Sunday and someone's sitting in a row you typically sit in, well, guess what? Find another row. Guess what? You'll be okay. And let me, I'm going to be so bold. If you've got the type of spirit and attitude that you would get mad over someone sitting in your seat, you're probably not a good fit at our church. Can I say that kindly? It's probably not a good fit. The day that I became comfortable with that statement as a pastor was a day that freed me. Not everybody that shows up at our church is a good fit, right? So, like, if you're going to be angry about a seat, this might not be the place for you. I've got a few other churches in town I can recommend you go to, though. <laughs> Could you give me a water bottle right there? It's going to get bad in a second. I just feel it. It's right behind over there. Thank you. <clears throat> if we're not careful this morning, we're going to turn into judgmental, thank you, religious scribes and Pharisees, and, and, and we're going to turn into these, these uh, people who would, who would sit down in an honored seat while everyone else was jam-packed. If we're not careful this morning, we can find ourselves in this story and we can find ourselves in the judgmental religious scribes. And, and can I say one thing that transformed my view of scripture and one thing that transformed the way I studied my Bible was when I stopped saying other people were the Pharisees and other people were the judgmental people. And I started realizing, hey, that's probably me. Hey, listen, if I stop looking at the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, guess who they were? They were the churchy people. And I'm, you don't get no more churchy than me. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid that went straight into full-time ministry, that planted a church like a crazy person. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to look at everyone else and go, oh, those people who aren't here that are critical and whatever, those are the, those are the, the, the Pharisees. Those are the, judge, the judgmental people. No, 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 no. For the first X amount of years of my adult ministry, Pharisee number one. My wife can say amen to that. I was Pharisee number one. Pharisee number one. The chiefest, as Paul said. That was King James right there. Chiefest. The chiefest of all Pharisees. Thus he would say. But he was the chief of all Pharisees. If we aren't careful, we will begin to function as if 
we get the seats and everybody else can stand. If we're not careful, we begin to listen to sermons in order to critique and to criticize those sermons. And by the way, I'm always up for a good question. I'm always up for a good, uh, hey, I have a question about what you said. I love that, in fact. However, if we're not careful, we can become professional critiquers and criticizers. We can begin to lean into our, our skepticism so much that we become a cynic. And honestly, when we get to that point, we miss some of the purest and best things that God has for us. We start looking around at other people and judging what they're doing or what they're not doing. And if we're not careful, we turn into these religious scribes. Look at what these scribes or Pharisees so often did. They wanted credit for themselves. A simple study back in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you that they have their reward. How can I, how can I see if I'm leaning towards being a judgmental religious scribe? Do you find yourself always needing to be recognized? Do you get jealous when someone else gets acknowledged for serving and you don't? We used to do volunteer of the week on social media. We'll pick that up here in the spring again. And you're like, well, I wasn't on it the last time they did the volunteers of the week. And now it's been three times and they ain't put me on there yet. I wonder if they even know I serve. And we kind of chuckle. Because it's funny. Until you're the one doing it. And you're hurt. And you're angry. And you become very, wanting credit for yourselves is a slick road to to Pharisaism. It's a slick road to these judgmental scribes. Do you find it, ooh, mm, do you find it difficult to do good when you know no one will find out? Yikes. Do you find it difficult to do good when you know no one will find out? Do you find it difficult to give when you know no one will know that you were the one who gave? You might just be more of a judgmental religious scribe than you think, right? Wanting credit for themselves and always wanting credit for themselves. But secondly, they exist in a world full of pride. In a world full of pride, speaking to the Pharisees, specifically in Luke chapter 14, the first seven verses, specifically addressing the Pharisees. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come to, and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be Exalted. The Pharisees existed in pride, and we see it all throughout the life of Christ. We see the pride and the arrogance that comes through in the life of these Pharisees and these scribes. They, they want to get the seat while others stand. They want to sit at the head of the table while us peasants sit down at the end. How many of you, I know my, my, uh, my family, I'm not sure if anybody else is a Gilmore Girls fan in the room. I happen to be. I've been married for 14 years happily, and I'm a Gilmore Girls fan, and it's okay. But uh, my parents are kind of like the Gilmores in a way. Um, like, everybody has a place to sit. And, like, don't put your elbows on the table. And, like, eat with the fine china. 
kind of thing. That's kind of the way my parents are. How many of you still, it's like you're trying to figure out, is it okay for me to sit at the head of the table? Anybody's family still operate like that? Or is my family the only crazy ones? My family's the only crazy ones. All right. So, like, I'm still wondering, like, is it okay in my parents' house? Like, this is no lie. Sarah can attest for this. My dad sits at the head of the one side of the table, and my mom sits at the head of the other side of the table. And we fill in the sides. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to offend my parents. Like, I'm the only child, but still, I don't want to offend my parents. But sitting at the head of the table, walking in and saying, hey, this is where I belong. In arrogance and pride, and I actually, it's really fun to watch when people come up and go, hey, we need you to move. Can you move down, please? That seat's for somebody else. They must be recognized. They must be at the head of the table. They must get the honored seat while everyone else just stands. The, the arrogance and the pride that fills the life of a judgmental religious scribe. And thirdly, they focus on the negative. Oh, man. They focus on the negative. Jesus could not just heal someone. They had to check and see, did you heal him on the right day or heal her on the right day, at the right hour, at the right time, at the right moment? Jesus couldn't just save someone. The Pharisees had to see, is, well, was that a Samaritan? Was that a Gentile? Was that a Jew? Jesus couldn't just do good. He couldn't just forgive this man's sins. They couldn't just rejoice. They had to then immediately question, Jesus, who are you, try- are you God? Who are you trying to be? And these religious uh, 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 zealots, these religious men who had turned into uh, judgmental jerks, always focused on the negative. Oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, you, you healed that man, but you know you couldn't do that until tonight when the sun went back and the moon came out and the Sabbath day was officially over. Always focusing on the negative or always focusing on the rule that Jesus happened to break. What is ironic in this story, and we'll get to these other characters, the friends in the story receive a huge blessing. The man... The paralytic, he receives an incredible spiritual and physical blessing. But these scribes in the story, you know what they receive? Nothing. They receive a verbal display from Jesus. But they don't receive any blessing. They receive no joy. They receive no happiness from what happened in this story. The spirit of the scribes must be quenched in this church. The spirit of judgmentalism must be dug up from its roots and removed. It must, we must continue to focus and preach on it so that it never becomes a part of the culture of this church. You say, Josh, how much more are you going to talk about us not judging all the time until you get tired of hearing it? Because that's the way something gets embedded into our culture. We continue to talk about it until we're tired of hearing about it, until it becomes a habit. We're going to talk about not judging so much that when it does happen, if you go to another a church to visit or you're around it at work or whatever, you see it happening, you're like, oh, no. Oh, man, it's so recognizable because it's been so foreign. That's when we've talked about it enough, and then we'll just keep talking about it because the Bible talks about it a lot. We want to create a, an environment here at Keystone Church where anybody can show up, and listen, we're going to preach on sin. 
You know that if you've been around here for two or three weeks, you know we're going to preach on sin. We're not going to shy away from what the Bible says. We're going to love people, and we're not going to judge people. We're not going to make condemnation on people. We're not going to bring, we're not going to bring a, a condemnation into someone's life because of the way they look or the way they dress or what's happened in their life the last seven or eight days. Listen, we're going to be a church that constantly fights against the judgmental religious scribes. Secondly, I want us to see the faithful friends. The friends that literally were full of faith. We don't know the paralytic's specific need. Obviously paralyzed. Couldn't walk himself. We don't know what caused it. We don't know the history behind it. (coughs) We don't really know much about who these men were. The Bible doesn't give their names. But what incredible faith these four friends had. Look back in our text in Mark 2. Verse 3, when they came, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Man, I could get super cheesy like, like, 90, like 1995, raise the roof. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Imagine being there that day. Imagine your friend cannot walk. You basically have him on a glorified stretcher, maybe carrying him on your shoulder, four of you on each corner, one on each corner. And you come to the house and you say, we know Jesus is here. We've heard what Jesus did. He cleansed the leper. We know he healed healed this this, this older lady. We know he's done all these things. And we've got to get our friend to Jesus. He can't walk. And they pull up to the house. And uh, because COVID was going on back then, there were social distancing rules. And they were were at a 25% capacity. I'm just kidding. They were at a 100% capacity. I mean, there was all sorts of mess being shared in that that house. But they they found themselves walking to the door of the house and probably seeing people even spilled outside, maybe by the windows, just trying to listen. But but my friend, first of all, I want us to see the persistence of their faith. The persistence of their faith. Listen, we got all the way here. I don't know how far they traveled, but if you're carrying a human being on your shoulder, it doesn't matter if it was a half a mile or five miles. That's, a, that's more than I want to do it. And we get all the way here, can't get in. You mean we brought him all the way here and we can't get in? Can you imagine as they persisted in their faith and they got together and they said, listen, we didn't come all this way for Jesus not to meet our friend. We didn't come all this way for our friend not to meet Jesus. We didn't come all this way so that he he would not be healed. And when someone else would have walked up and said, oh, it's impossible to get in and see Jesus. No, when someone else saw impossibility, these men saw the possible. When someone else said there's no way, they said, no, we will make a way. They didn't give up when it seemed the house was full where others saw a sign that said no vacancy. They saw a sign that said, please enter through the roof. 
right? Other people see a sign that says, do not enter, house is full. They see, please enter around back through the roof. And in those days, their persistent faith turns, secondly, into their faith was creative. It was creative. Listen, we can't get him through the door. We can't even push him through the window to get to Jesus. And they had to get creative. And some of you may get some, some people that are traditional church and been in church your whole life. Listen, they didn't do it like everybody else did it. They didn't cross every T and dot every I the way everyone else said that they needed to do it. No, they got up on someone else's roof and they started picking away at the thatch and the different elements. And I I did a study this week and they said some of these would have 18 to 24 inches worth of stuff to make their roof. Like it was that secure and strong and, and, and definitely a layer of dirt. Often people would grow things on top of the roof. And so digging and can you imagine not just being their friends? Can you imagine being one of the scribes? Man, I love this part. One of those haughty, prideful, judgmental, arrogant, churchy scribes sitting there, arms crossed, taking notes, waiting for Jesus to mess up. And all of a sudden, dirt starts falling in their hair. Man, that makes me so happy. Dirt starts falling in their hair and and that seat they were privileged to sit in, man, that just happens to be the seat right underneath where those men are, are, are breaking that roof apart. And the creativity of those men, they were willing to step out of their comfort zone to get their friend to Jesus. They were willing to make themselves super uncomfortable to get their friend to Jesus. Listen, this is real life. This really happened. Jesus was teaching. He was preaching the word to these people and dirt started falling. Think about it. He was teaching and he was preaching and all of a sudden you heard, dum, 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 and they were clanging and they were moving stuff and you could probably hear them talking to one another and maybe saying something like listen we've only got a little bit more way to go keep digging we're almost through their creative their creativity and can i say this this morning since march the 8th of 2020 we have made it a point that we have not pushed anyone not only to show up to our church we've not even pushed you to invite people to join us online. We've kind of taken this year, and for good or for bad, we've just like, okay, we're just gonna have church. Like, whoever shows up, shows up, and praise the Lord. But can I say this? We need to get back into the rhythm of bringing people to Jesus in our context through our church. We all have friends who are willing to get out and go to in-person events, and ooh, Josh, don't do it. We all got friends that will go out and do a lot of other things. And we, if you know that, you can invite them to in-person services. Josh, keep your mouth shut. All right, here we go. And here's the deal. If you have friends that aren't comfortable coming out, we can invite them to join us on our live stream every Sunday. Creativity. At this point, we need to get back to a satisfied customer should tell somebody about the food that they received. A satisfied customer should say, hey, I've got this restaurant I go to all the time. It's called Keystone Church. We get spiritually fed. Sometimes we get physically fed. We get spiritually fed. And listen, let's not let the, the, the pandemic that we've now been experiencing for coming up on 12 months, let that not no longer be an excuse for us not to get the word out. We used to be really good and we talked about it a lot. And we talked about, hey, go this week and just tell somebody 
about how you're enjoying church and invite them to come with you. And can I say this morning, we want to get creative in that. And it may not be attending in church in service, in person. It may be joining us online. It may be coming to a connect group that they would feel more comfortable coming to than coming to a church service. We don't care what it is. In fact, we would rather you bring somebody to your connect group than bring them to church. But the fact is this, we ought to be actively bringing people to Jesus. We ought to be creatively bringing people to Jesus. There's a pastor of a larger church out in the Midwest whose church makes this claim. We will do anything short of violating scripture to bring a person to Jesus. Listen to it. We will do anything short of violating scripture to bring a person to Jesus. I love that. I love that mentality this morning. Their faith, it was persistent. These friends, these faithful friends had a faith that was persistent, a faith that was creative, and then they had a faith that was sacrificial. A faith that was sacrificial. Once again, let's put ourselves back here. They sacrificed their dignity. It's a little awkward knowing there's a room full of, a house full of people. Peter in China, you guys could fit a lot of people in a house. I went to a house church in China one time that had 400 people in it at a time in a house. It's a lot of people. I don't know how many people were in this house. But all I know is when that hole opened up, you know, you can see like the four friends peering down like, okay, we really just did that. All right. And can you imagine the awkwardness even of letting him down? They sacrificed the, probably they sacrificed the money that it, would have, that it took to rebuild that roof when it was all said and done. They sacrificed their comfort and their comfort zone. And by the way, you don't begin to live until you step right out of that comfort zone. That's true spiritually as well. But their faith was sacrificial. They sacrificed, sacrificed their dignity. They sacrificed, uh, they, 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 they sacrificed their money. They sacrificed their time. Look at verse 5 in our text. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I've often heard people say that's referring to just the faith of those four friends. I, I don't believe if we take Scripture as a whole, we ought to always interpret Scripture with the story of Scripture. I don't believe as a whole the Bible teaches if, you know, if, if, if Josh and Andrea and Sarah and Peter have enough faith then I can be saved, right? I don't think that's a, 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 a teaching of scripture. I believe Jesus looked at the five, the five of them and said, hey, listen, your faith, I see that faith. I mean, think of the faith it took to be like, all right, guys, cool. Like, bust out the roof, let me down. I'm cool with that. If it gets me to Jesus, hey, listen, if it gets me to him, and Jesus, when he saw their faith, I believe it's when he looked at the four friends and the paralytic, and said when he, when he saw their faith, he said, sons, you're forgiven you. That's all I have this morning is faith. Remember last week, just a mustard seed, as Pastor Tom brought us, just a mustard seed of faith for my unsaved or unchurched or dechurched friend, just a, just a mustard seed of faith for my family member who's gone astray, just a mustard seed of faith for my child or my children who are struggling, just a mustard seed of faith this morning. That God would bring them back. That God would heal them. That, God, that they would experience life change like they never have. And lastly this morning, I want us to see the desperate paralytic. 
the desperate paralytic. And certainly there are elements of the story that we're not going to be able to get to. In fact, one of them being Jesus really showing off. And we're not, I'm not even going to read the rest of the text because of time. But I love it when the, peop- when the, the questioning judgmental scribes question Jesus about forgiving his sins. He goes, well, what's more difficult? Me forgiving their sin or me healing his body? Hey, by the way, get up and walk. Like it's like a mic drop moment. Jesus is like, oh, it's more difficult for me to forgive his sins than it is to heal him? Okay, be healed. Go on about your way. I can do that too. I'm not even going to get there this morning. Some interesting, some interesting thoughts here about this man. His, friend, his friends only knew of his spiritual need, for all we know. His friends only knew of his, his physical need, I'm sorry. They had no idea of his spiritual need. But God used the physical to heal his spiritual. Jesus took care of the spiritual need. He met his physical need to display publicly his deity in the face of the Pharisees. But Jesus took care of his spiritual need. And this is a picture of the heart of Jesus throughout the rest of his ministry. Jesus went about meeting the physical needs of people and the spiritual needs of people. In two weeks, we're going to have a representative from Medical Missions Outreach here, and that is their philosophy. We want to reach people by meeting their physical needs, oftentimes in third world countries that don't have the health care that we have here in America, and they want to reach their physical need and then introduce them to the greatest spiritual remedy they could ever find in Jesus. The heart of Jesus to meet physical and spiritual needs. The faith of this man as he knew that, yes, my friends know about my physical need, but I have a greater need. I have a spiritual need, and I desperately needed to get to Jesus. He needed four friends with enough creativity, enough persistence, enough sacrifice to get him to Jesus. He knew his need. He knew his need. His need was for a spiritual remedy found in Jesus. Certainly we can find ourselves in this story. Are you the paralytic man today who is in need of Jesus? We're foolish to think there's this many people in this room today and everybody's a follower of Jesus. Everybody's given their heart and life to Jesus. Maybe so. Maybe so. I hope so. Can we find ourselves as the paralytic man? Can we find ourselves as one of the four friends? Do we have enough faith to believe Jesus can change our friends and change our families and bring life change to people who have struggled? And do we believe that? Do we need more faith? Do we need persistent faith? Do we need creative faith? Do we need sacrificial faith this morning? Or do we find ourselves as a judgmental scribe? Sitting back, keeping score, watching other people, well, I'm not going to do this because, <laughs> look at them. Or I'm, I'm out because the person who keeps score always loses. The person who keeps score always loses. Here are my goals and takeaways, and we're done. I mentioned them at the beginning, so you know they're not long. I'm not one of those guys, even though I can be. I'm not going to do that today. 
Number one, resist the urge to be a judgmental religious scribe. And that takes work, and it takes focus, and it takes constant reminders. Because in our flesh, we can very easily turn into a judgmental religious scribe. It takes constantly reminding ourselves of where we were. Honestly, it takes us looking at ourselves currently and being like, I'm still struggling. It takes us humbling ourselves before God. Resist the urge. Work at it. Pray about it. Make it an item of spirit-filled prayer in your life. God, don't let me become a judgmental jerk. Don't let me become a judgmental jerk. Secondly, be the friend who believes that Jesus can save the lost. Listen, I don't care how far gone the person that maybe pops in your head is. I don't care how far gone that family member is. I don't care how far gone that relationship may seem. I don't, I don't care how far gone that, that coworker may seem to be or whatever it is in your life. Hey, be the friend that just believes. They're never too far. Listen, you can never go so far away from God that his hand of grace cannot reach you. You can never go so far away from God that his hand of grace cannot reach you. And that's true for every person in your circle, every person in your family, every person in your life this morning. We never saw anything like this. Man, that's what I want to see. You know what I want to see in our church? And man, wait till next Sunday. You know what I want to see in our church? I want to see people that other people are like, I can't even believe they showed up to church. And I can't even believe the church let them. I want to see those people's lives changed. So that we sit back and go, man, we ain't never seen anything like this before. I've never seen people like that come to Jesus. I've never seen a marriage that was that far gone be mended. I never, I've never seen anything like that before. That's what I'm praying over our church. And then thirdly, if you're the paralytic this morning, maybe people, maybe other people think they know what you need. But what you really need is Jesus. Maybe your mama, your grandma, your auntie and your cousin, maybe they think they know what you need. But you need Jesus. If you were like me, I was 19 years old and a pastor's son and I desperately needed Jesus. I had memorized Bible verses. I mean, I, my, one of my most amazing childhood games was sword drills. Just kidding. Finding Bible verses for candy. Some of y'all got video games. I mean, what's the deal? Anyway. But I was 19 years old. Grew up in church. And desperately needed Jesus. I don't know about you today. I was a Sunday school boy. I was a junior church MVP. I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus in a bad way. So where do you find yourself in the story today? I hope you find yourself as one of the... It would be awesome if we all found ourselves today as the four faithful friends. That'd be great. But can we be honest this morning? I don't think we can all say that maybe we find ourselves as a judgmental scribe they call them scribes I'd have gone with jerks but that's okay I didn't write the bible or do we find ourselves the one in need of Jesus thanks for listening today 
If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.